Well, thank you. Thank you, Rob. If you have a Bible, would you t- are we going to... Great. Well, let's keep it up there, but it, it probably will do you more good if you look at it, if you're on Bible or if you have a tablet or phone, you can follow it. I think you get more from it. Uh, so really, Paul is, is writing to these Roman Christians, and life is hard for them. If you know the background, that um, Claudius, had, the Emperor Claudius had kicked all the Jews out of, of um, Rome. And with them, they, um, the Jewish Christians. When Claudius died, Nero comes to power and he allows them all back. So now, as Paul writes to these people, the Jewish Christians have joined again with the Gentile Christians. But things are hard for them. It's difficult. And if you know anything about the history, that when Nero gets into full swing, things will get harder. But I, I say that because, you know, perhaps you've come this morning and, and things are hard. And Paul's going to write to these people because they are suffering. And life is not easy as a Christian. There's a famous line in uh, The Princess Bride. And uh, the, um, somebody says, uh, he says, life is pain, Highness. And anyone who tells you differently is selling you something. Well, we, the Christians are not trying to sell you something, but we have to say that life is painful. Visiting hospitals this week and visiting people who have been sick this week and just been aware of how much pain there is and suffering, not just physical suffering, it's actually the carers that often uh, suffer most in many ways, living alongside people who are going through hard times. But it maybe you've come this morning and think, well, does God really love me? Because that's what we're going to talk about. Does God really love me? You know, because my obedience is not great. My faith is very, well, not too good at the moment. I wish it was higher. And uh, I feel discouraged. You know, everybody else is great, but I just feel a little discouraged. And Paul is writing to these, these people and he's, he's aware that times are hard. He actually says... You know, we, we must go, go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus himself said, you know, in this world you will have troubles, but be of good cheer. You know, I have overcome the world. And so we're going to look at this passage. And um, because Paul's desire is to lift us. See, very often the Christian life, alas, can be like certain marriages which start euphoric and full of joy and then, and then after a few years, you look back, it's just a distant memory. And the Christian life can start off as a high, great experiences. But actually, Paul says, it's meant to get better and better. That's what he's saying. You're meant to have a greater understanding of God's grace and God's love. And, 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 and so that's what he's, he's on about. He knows full well that when you become a Christian, we're born onto a battlefield. It's a cosmic war. In fact, Christians have more troubles than others. The fact that you're Christians and that uh, you're marked people. And so Paul is, is writing to them here. Uh, don't be surprised. And, um, and, but you think, is my faith strong enough? And um, Paul's writing now, we're going to look at this, to, to, comp- to strengthen your assurance and your confidence and, and your strength in the Lord. Um, it's far from perfect, but uh, in the midst of troubles, now i just give you a quick outline of the first few verses, because he wants to show him how much he loves you. The first thing, the big problem, he says, actually the big problem is that we are on, the whole world 
is under the wrath and judgment of God. He's been building that argument up. That's the real problem. But the good news, the first, the good news, and I just give you the heading, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. That's the first thing. God has done something. He has sent his son. And his son, by his death and resurrection, has made it possible for men and women, through faith, through trust in him, can have peace with God. Not necessarily the peace of God. That comes, that's not always there, but we have, we, have, we, we have peace with God. We can get through to God. And that's a great thing. But the second thing he says, he says, look, and through him we have gained access by faith in this, into this grace in which we now stand. Now we're in, we're accepted. Even though you've lived a wretched life and you're miserable so-and-so, because of your faith in Christ, we stand in this grace. We're in. We're accepted. We stand in this grace. We don't wobble in and out. No, we're in. We're rooted and grounded in this grace. That's the, the land we live in. It's like taking my kids years ago to Disneyland. You get in through the gate and you say, it's all yours now, so get in, you know, get in line. You're in. And, and, and that's what Paul says. We stand in this grace. And then the third thing he says, he says, we, uh, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have an incredible glory. When we die, I mean, our future is unbelievably wonderful. The glory of God, we'll be in it, we'll be part of it, and, and we can be assured of it. And, and Jesus says, I want them, uh, the, for those you've given me, to be where I am, to see my glory. And Jesus said it, so that settles it. So we have these three things, that's just a starter. But then the problem is, and this is where we come to you this morning and me, we have problems. We're struggling. But then Paul says, if we can go on, uh, to but verse, verse uh, 3, he says, you know, we, but we, we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice in our suffering. <laughs> Why? Actually, because he says, it's just another proof of his love. Really? That's what he's saying. You must be joking. And the people I've seen this week in hospital, in homes, it's been difficult to sell that, but it's the fact. That's what he's saying. We rejoice in our suffering. It is a proof of his love. I mean, Paul says, we rejoice. Paul says, I delight in weakness. I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecution. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is he on about? Well, he says we rejoice in our sufferings. We don't just grumble. We don't, just, we, don't, we don't not complain. No, no, we rejoice in our suffering. He doesn't actually say we rejoice in spite of our suffering. No, he doesn't even say that. You know, we, we, we put up with it stiff of a lip and we're stoical. No, no. He doesn't even say we rejoice in the middle of our suffering, which is a good thing. No, no, what he's saying is we rejoice in a strange way on account of them. Not that they're good in themselves. No, no. So what does it mean? How does it work out this morning? How do we work it out? It doesn't mean I'm glad when these things happen. And he's not saying these things are good in themselves. He's not a pervert or a masochist. Oh, I really like him. He's tough and hard and all that stuff. No, he's not saying that. These things are unpleasant. The writer Hebrews says that. 
None of, the, none of these things are pleasant when they're happening. No, he didn't say that. He says, now look at the text. Look at the text. Because we know. That's the key thing. Look, we know. Faith sees. It's to do with knowing. We know. That's the key to it. Faith sees something going on. And God is dealing with us. He says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. You see, the great, <laughs> as the old hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And we drift. We, we get preoccupied with ourselves and with our other things. And God has to bring us back. And usually, and unfortunately, it is the hard things, sufferings, the hardships that actually bring us back to God. We think we can do it on our, on our own. We, we can do it. We can figure, but we can't. So these things happen. And we thought we could manage. And, um, but these, these, these hardships, these problems, they wake us up. Oh, I was drifting. You know, it's like, you know, when I was a child a long while ago. But uh, like on the right, you know, there's a little pond on the, where the water fills out a bit. We used to have these pond yachts. And my dad made me one, if I can remember. But, you know, you set the sail and it's supposed to go around and come back. But they don't. They just go off and then they sort of turn over in the middle of the pond. What, what, what do you do? And this is what the boys like this even better. You get stones and sticks and you throw it on the far side and it pushes back to the, to the shore, to the, to the side. Now that's exactly what these sufferings do. We're drifting. We don't actually see them as from God. But God uses them and pushes them back to, us, to, to himself, you see. And we, we start seeing what really matters in life. They, they make us focus on what is important. And uh, you know, you may be desperately ill or facing bankruptcy or losing your job and all the rest of it. But they force us back. To, we, we start thinking about God as never before. And he says, look, he says, uh, perseverance produces character. The word is approvedness, testedness. We've, you know, we've been there before. It's like when you're playing a foot, if you're playing in a, a cup final or a playoffs, and you're all anxious and you're playing this game. But the next year, you're in it again. You think, well, I've done this. I've, I've, I'm not as worried this year. I've, been, I've done it. I've proved it. You know, it's like going to the dentist. You've got a filling. Oh, it's desperate. But you know... You think, I've been before, I didn't die. Not, not quite. I can do it. You know, there's an approvedness, a testedness. And that's what Paul says. These things are, are producing this character in you. It proves we're truly Christians. I've, I've proved God through this time. And, and, and God is testing us to prove these things. Beware of people who say, now you're a Christian, life's everything's going to be great and wonderful. You're a marked person, my friends, by the powers of darkness. Things are not going to be easy because God is dealing with you. Because there are things in you that he wants to get rid of in you. He wants to deal with you. He wants to discipline you. You know, people, as soon as you, when you become a Christian, troubles will come. If you're, and some people leave the church. Well, where was Jesus when I needed you? Oh, blow the church. I knew it wouldn't happen. Look, I'm still out of work. Blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. These things are going to happen. But you will prove the, the grace and the power of God in these things. That's never before. 
And your character's changed. See, what God is concerned about, he doesn't want you to remain as you are. That's why he loves you and disciplines you. Because he wants to deal with you. Because he wants to change your character. And he disciplines you. I have four children. I discipline them. And uh, I don't discipline my grandchildren, unfortunately. I'm not allowed to. (laughs) But actually, you know, I... Because I love my children. And I see things in their character which they got from their parents. <laughs> and I think, I, don't, I, w- I want to deal with them. And I discipline them. And we were very hard. Probably be illegal nowadays. I don't know. But beware that your child marries someone who's never been disciplined. Heaven help them. But seriously, God is working on this. And that's what he's saying. We dis- the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son and daughter. No, you see? And it leads, character leads to hope. Hope. We've got through these trials, we've proved God, got, you know, we have a destiny, we have a future. And, uh, and, and, and you know, He's changing us. He loves you so much. He doesn't want to leave you as he found you. That's the hard thing. His, his, his desire is that you might become like his son in your character. You are conformed to the image of his son. That's where these things happen. And alas, it usually has to happen through suffering. And the psalmist says, the suffering you sent me was good. For through it, it taught me to pay attention to your principles. That's the psalmist got it in one. But anyway, let's quickly move on. The next proof of his love, right? We're, we have peace with God. We stand in the grace of God. We have a hope that cannot be measured of glory. He is working on us. And then the next thing says, Paul, he gives us his spirit. See, people say, well, you've got this hope. It's It's foolish. You must be disappointed. No, no, Paul says, this, this hope doesn't disappoint us. We're not ashamed of this. Not at all. Why? Well, look what he says. He's because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's why God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The word poured is the key, the key word. The word means it's to do with um, gushing, torrents, effusion, profusion. And God has, has poured his love into our hearts. It's just what Pauline, Pauline said it better than I could say it this morning. The Spirit comes. It's not something we do. It's, well, I, they told me this, this, and this, therefore I believe this. No, no, it's direct. It's direct on your heart. It affects not just your mind, but the whole of your being. I remember 50 odd years ago, falling in love with a lovely young lady. Now, I have to say this. It didn't just affect my mind. I knew I was on a good thing. It affected my heart and my feelings and even my appetite. But that, that's what Paul is saying. The, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, not just our minds. It's direct. It's something that happens. It's just exactly as Paul in so clearly and wonderfully shared and that's the secret of the early church. He says, we, we know and we love, says John, the love that God has for us. 
we, it's something we experience. You know, I remember reading in the Apostle Peter's letter, and he says, he says, it is filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. I thought, I want that. That's for us. Now, let me read, just quote from, a, I, I was reading this, I just finished this wonderful book, this amazing book, it's called The War of Loves. It's about a young, gay, homosexual, atheist in Australia. It is an amazing book. Anyway, he's a real, he's a, he's a student. And he, um, he goes to this pub in Sydney, I think. And he meets this Christian who knew called Madeline. I must, I must get on. And... Uh, <laughs> I could spend all morning on this book. It's wonderful. Anyway, Madeline, she said, do you believe in the love of God? No, nah, I don't believe all that stuff. Can I pray for you? Well, he said, I don't believe that. Anyway, go on. So she did. As Madeline laid his, her hands on me and prayed, the bustle of the pub faded away and I entered into a stillness, a peace. Soon I felt a soft tingling on the crown of my head that slowly intensified as if someone were pouring oil over me. The warm sensation ran down my entire body like a current of water. It was like anything I'd ever felt before. In a moment in that experience, so, to- so totally different from, 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 well, it's from outside me, so totally unasked for, everything turned upside down in my mind. All of my searching in religion, in relationships, in atheism. None of it compared with this love coursing through me like electricity. He says, for the first time, I knew that God was real and that he loved me. Anyway, the night he goes, he goes home. And he says, the night after I met Madeline, peace washed over me as I slept. It was as if I were dreaming, yet somehow I wear... <laughs> Same consciously of the Holy Spirit cleanses me, filling me, restoring me from God's side. As the sensation grew stronger, gushing, same word as Paul is using, gushing over me like a torrent. I felt the dead shell around my heart being carried out away. Out of nowhere, I began speaking a non language. This otherworldly speech poured out like so forcibly that it woke me up. I opened my eyes and realized I was speaking in tongues. I had, I had read, I won't tell you all the negative things it says about tongues. He'd read about in the past. Anyway, he goes to church with her. He says, Madeline, I found out, attended the same church movement as my mum and dad and my uncle and aunt. This detail astounded me. When I entered the church with her, the same presence I experienced in the pub flooded back, stronger than before. During the worship time, I I stare as people lifted their hands in adoration and never seen anything like it. The Holy Spirit's loving presence emanated out of everyone. I too lifted my hands. I found it strange and yet natural. As if, I were created for it. Floods of power and love flooded over me. And I I wept. Jesus' grace had found me in a church. The last place I wanted to be not long ago. Amazing. Becomes a very committed, celibate follower of Jesus. That's it. That's what it's about. You know? 
But then look what he says in the next verse. He says, because, he says, because this, the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, all Christians have the Holy Spirit. But not all Christians enjoy the knowledge and the experience of the love of God. But we all have the Holy Spirit. All Christians have the Holy Spirit. And God has started a work in you. God has brought you to life. And God does not start a thing. He, he doesn't finish. You know, Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to, with, to, to the completion until the day of Christ. God has started. Every, every one of you Christians, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he's, he's brought you to life. And he's, he's not, that life is never going to die. He's not brought you to life that he, one day he'll, he'll pull his spirit. He knows what, you, he know what, a, what a Christian you would like. You know, some of you have got projects, you know, in the garden. You're going to re- pat- re- put those patio stones right again. Or you have a, an old motorbike in the shed. Actually, you're going to strip it, paint it, do a rebore on it, and then paint the frame. Or it may be a car. Or else some of you ladies, you bought that quilting pack, right? Or that embroidery thing, or that cross stitch, and it's still there in the cupboard, isn't it? All these kits you bought, and one day I'm going to do it. How many have got projects, well, which are never finished? I want you to raise your... No, no, I mean. I want to tell you this. God is not like that. God does not start. He has put his spirit in you. And he will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And um, you see, it's a proof that you rebirth, that we have this life. Now, the big question we have to ask in passing is... Um, do I have, am I a Christian? That's the only thing that matters. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul says to, to the Corinthians, no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know, well, what's it mean? Not just say a creed or read a prayer. No, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying he is son of God, fully gone. He came to earth, fully man, fully God. He came, he died, this Lord of glory, this King of the universe. He came, he lived, he died, he raised, he's ascended to the throne of God. He is Lord. That's what it means. And he's, that's what it means to be a Christian, to accept he is Lord. It's not just a thing you say in the creed. And, um, well, you say, I'm not so sure. Well, let me just ask you, do you long to know Christ? Oh, yeah, I do. Do you want to love Christ? Yeah, I do, but I'm not sure. Well, let, just by way of encouragement, the great French philosopher and, and Christian Blaise Pascal said, a wonderful phrase, I've read it many times, thou wouldst not be seeking me unless thou hadst already found me. And that's true. If you long to know Christ, long to love him, let me tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit's in you. you we long for it. The assurance that Paul spoke of and that Paul's now speaks of. But the longing is part of the Spirit. The non believer doesn't long for these things. But quickly, let's move on as we move towards communion. And let's move on in this passage. Because Paul is desperate that you might know this Sunday morning the love of God. And uh, he just gives a brief ex- exposition of the love of God. Let's turn to it quickly. He says, God demonstrates. Notice present tense, not demonstrated dead. On this third day in February, God demonstrates this 
mourning his love for us. Because he wants you to know above anything else you achieve in life that you are loved. God demonstrates his love. Now we have to be careful because very often we think Jesus comes to earth and he dies on the cross and he dies for us and he goes back and he has to persuade God to change his mind. Well, that's not the case. It starts off in the heart of God. God so loved the world, therefore he sent his son. It starts off in the heart of God. The father and the son have a great covenant before the world began. That we will have a people who love us. And Jesus will come and die for them. And for the sin of the world. You see, look at that. There's a lovely verse. I love that. I love that verse. You know, at the, just at the right time, he says, um, he says, just at the right time, just at the right time. <laughs> Wonderful. Just the right time. See, he'd given the, he'd given the, the law to his people, the Jews, for 1,400 years, they, they tried to get right with God. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. He'd given them sacrifices as a stopgap expedience to, to, to sort of get through, as it were, as, as a temporary thing. But none of them, and Paul here, quoting Isaiah, comes to his conclusion, there's no one righteous, no one, no one made it, no one could do it. And it's the same with the, with the, uh, the Gentiles, all these great civilizations. You know, the great flowering of culture in the Greeks, the Romans, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Chinese, none of them could get right with God. But just as the right time, says Paul, just as the right time, he comes. He, Jesus, Jesus he sends his son. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Just the right time. While well, we're still powerless, Christ died. Christ died. Notice here, very quickly, what he says about his son. Notice what Paul highlights. To prove his love. Not, he doesn't demonstrate his life, his character, or his miracles, or his teaching. No. While we're still powerless, Christ died. That's the heart. Now, I know the, the resurrection is the linchpin of it all, but this is, in one sense, the center. This is what he highlights. This is a supreme manifestation of the love of God. This will change your life. This changed my life as a student. When I saw the eternal creator God died. I can understand that. You know, all our parents and relatives die. We understand death. And God, the son, dies to show his love. Amazing. That's why we're going to now get to come and break bread. And um, it's amazing. That's why we have to meditate on the, the cross, to, to gaze on the cross. As the hymn writes, where I survey the cross. Now, don't try and work up a feeling. Don't do that. Just look at the different aspects of the, of the cross, different truths, different facets of what happens. There's a lot going on. In, it's the most important thing that ever happened on the face of this little planet. But the final thing and the most amazing thing 
The most amazing, not the most, but we're always saying superlative when we shouldn't. But uh, he says, <laughs> he says, look for those who, for whom he came. <laughs> God the Father loves you, sent his son. But look for whom, who, who, for whom he came while we're still powerless, helpless. We had no spiritual strength. We didn't long for God. We were spiritually dead. We were blind. But then he goes on. He says, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly. People unlike God. We were meant to live for his honor and glory. We don't. We live for our own praise and glory. We were, we were of all animals who were created in his image. Mirror creatures to reflect the glory of God. And we broke the mirror. We live for our glory. We were ungodly. We'll do our own thing. And uh, in fact, it goes, it goes on in verse 10, which we haven't time to get to this morning. Well, we're enemies. God is man's natural enemy. How can you say that? I can say that very clearly. Because actually, I want to live my way. I don't want anybody else to run my life. But the, the heart of the Christian message is that God is king, the kingdom of God. He comes to rule. Well, I don't want him to rule. I like your hymns. I like forgiveness. I like the power of the Spirit. I like all these things you're offering me, but I want to rule my life. No, no, no. If you, that's why God's my enemy. Because I want to rule. I want to do it my way. I don't want to die to my way, my rule. And that's why we're enemies. But the gospel is, he comes to die for his enemies. Amazing. Not only are we powerless, not only are we ungodly, we're enemies. But he comes. And look what he says. He says, for very, very rarely someone dies for a righteous man. Though, though perhaps for a good man, one would possibly dare to die. A righteous man, you know, is... Is someone who keeps the law as best he can, and a good man is someone who goes further. He's, he's governed by love, and he goes the second mile. He has, he's kind to his neighbours. But that's—I <laughs> mean, he might die for those. One of the young men in the Columbine shooting threw himself in front of one of the girl students to protect her. You do that, or else Phil Moore tells about. Uh, a young 19-year-old American in Baghdad in 2006, Ross, I think it's Ross McGuinness, uh, and uh, the, the Iraqi insurgents throw a grenade into one, under this big vehicle. And Ross sees this, and he sees his comrades, and he knows they can't get out in time. So what does he do? He throws himself on this Grenade and he's totally obliterated. His friends, his comrades climb out unscathed. But he is blown to smithereens. They do award him the, the Medal of Honor. Now, you do that for your friends, says Paul, occasionally, perhaps for a good man. But for your enemies, just imagine that grenade had gone in a, a bunker with... Um, Iraq insurgency. What Brit or American would go and throw themselves on the grenade then? Nobody. But actually, says Paul, that is what really is happening. He dies for the ungodly, his enemies. And then he goes on. He uses this word. God demonstrates his own love for this while we're sinners. 
we'd broken God's law. <laughs> we've done our own thing. We've offended him. We've told him to get lost. These are the people for whom Jesus died. I must stop. We're going to break bread now. People have said to me, I'm, I'm, I'm too bad to break. To, I don't want to take communion. I'm not really good enough. My friends, this meal is for sinners who found the grace of God. Jesus came to die for the ungodly, for the powerless, for sinners. He comes. And if he dies, if, he, if he's drawn to you when you're like this, do you think, you're, as Christians, some of you have sinned and you feel ashamed. You, you, it's amazing you're here this morning. Have I, have I lost the love of God? No. Your sins didn't draw him to you and your sins won't repel him. He loves you. He loves you, my friends. What more does he have to, sh- to do to show it? <laughs> well, come and pray this morning to be filled, as Pauline said, and as we've experienced this love. But all of us come and take this bread and drink this wine. It's a great celebration. Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness like a flood. Amazing, isn't it? That's what you have to do. Jesus said, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Jesus says it. That settles it. Jesus says, no one can snatch it out of my hands. His grip on you. And the Father who has given them to me, who is greater than all, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. Job said, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glory. We're going to die, my friends. Christians, we're going to be presented, says Jews, without fault. Isn't that amazing? Without fault. With great joy. Makes you want to die, really, doesn't it? It's wonderful. Paul says, look, I, I am persuaded, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, even your sins, shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So come. But my friends, some of you come every week and you've never made Jesus Lord. I know. You can become a Christian from walking from there to the communion place. It's as easy as that and as hard as that. But you have to make Jesus Lord. So come on, let's take the bread and drink the wine with great joy. You are loved, my friends. Amen?